1: Welcome to another FrightFest.com podcast, FrightFest previous Series 2018, and welcome to the show, Abiel Bruhn and John Rocco. Welcome.
0: Hi, Hi. Thanks very much, Stuart.
1: Good to have you. Good to have you. Now, you've come on to talk about your film, The Night Sitter, so can one of you first just give the listener a brief synopsis to what The Night Sitter is about?
0: Uh, yeah, The Night Sitter is... Uh comedy um it is a film about a babysitter who comes over to a house to take care of this little kid and it turns out that the kid the babysitter and the dad who left them both there all have sort of a dark secret and the movie just sort of sees all these uh three things kind of crash into each other and it's uh and it involves witches as well. Yeah, so, it is a it is a witch film, um, very much influenced by Suspiria um, meets Home Alone as well. So yeah, we that's of, that's our elevator pitch: is that it's <laughs> Suspiria meets Home Alone. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that kind of
2: crystallizes. Lots right of there. blood, but lots of good time Christmas feeling as well. So
1: yeah, sure. I like your uh, I like your IMDb uh, description: one thief, two kids, three witches, no mercy yeah <laughs> yeah that sums it up numerically for people who are you know on that vibe so uh before we go into more details about the movie then let's uh let's have a think about about yourself personally for the audience and uh so i want you to sort of give me maybe an early or a fond memory of consuming horror whether that be book comic film or snatching something on tv late at night that you shouldn't have done uh that put you on the road to sort of being a Horror fan, and now obviously a horror
2: filmmaker. Uh, I'd say probably the first one of the first memories I even have is watching Pet Cemetery at my grandma's house in New York. Um, she, I guess, had a copy she rented on VHS. So I remember watching it late at night, and it gave me the terrors. Essentially, I, uh, I've just been chasing, trying to make horror movies ever since because it's it's just left such an impact on my life. Um, it's pretty much going back to yeah that and just watching a bunch of movies when I was younger and going to the rental store and seeing all the the VHS covers and just trying to pick what was the scariest and most disturbing cover.
0: Yeah, I mean it's for, for me very much um, I kind of draw it back to the Evil Dead series uh, because they were they were scary, but they were more than that. They were kind of just like insane. You watched them and you felt like you were watching something that was like deviant and clever, but also stupid and like funny, but also scary. And it it really was just an amazing discovery for me when I was a kid. And um, afterwards, I actually bought Bruce Campbell's book. And in the book, he's like talking about how they made that movie Um, and just reading about the ingenuity and like just the – you know, the dedication and just the imagination they had, not just in like coming up with the story, but in how they shot it. Um, that kind of for me was sort of like this two pronged thing where I was like, I love the content, but I also love almost like the lifestyle of how these people make these movies.
1: No, that, that's, uh, that's, that's an interesting point. Never thought of that before. Um, so moving, moving on to your, uh, on to your film. Um, now, you're both, you're, you're, I should say that you're you're the co-writers and the co-directors, so we can really yeah. get to the genesis of this this film and, and then build from there. So, if we can start off with um, what what was the kernel of the idea that, that that began sort of growing to become what we now see as the Night Sitter?
2: Um, well, it was out of slight
1: restrictions. I mean, we didn't have
2: all of the money in the world, of course, like mm-hmm. any Indian filmmakers, so um, I kind of thought about what locations we could potentially shoot at, and I kept on begging my parents if we could shoot at their house in Nashville. They kept on dismissing it for several months, and then eventually uh, they said, if we've got a good enough story, then then we could probably film there, so I just went to trying to create a story based on the house that I grew up in, which was actually pretty amazing. Um, so we, once we got that story down, then uh, essentially it was just moving forward with trying to get all the pieces together. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I think that, uh, um, it, you know, kind of what it came from for me because, you know, I didn't have the, the background necessarily um, of it being my childhood house like, uh, like John did, mm-hmm. but um, sort of once I saw the house, I was kind of, You know, it has this weird kind of, like, labyrinthine. Like, if if someone tried to draw a blueprint of the house based on watching the movie, I don't think they would be able to do it. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, just because, like, maybe the bottom floor, because the bottom floor is, like, one big loop. But the top floor, the rooms get really crazy. And, you know, it has this huge, you know, the pool area, the pool house. You know, it really felt like it was a little world. And, you know, that really made us want to say okay what can we introduce into this world and so you know it there's like some crime comedy elements with amber and her friends and then supernatural elements and it wound up just being kind of all the things that have appealed to us over and john and i have made a series of short films with this crew um our our production company roller disco massacre Mm -hmm. and the nights that are really you know we wanted to make a feature Using all the aesthetic and storytelling and personnel that we had
2: been working with for a couple of years. So it was essentially like our version of making a supernatural home invasion story, um, which, you know, we we always love home invasion stories, so it was just our crack at it, and we we decided to mm-hmm. color it with pretty much every color you could think of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that
0: was another huge part of it was, you know, the the story maybe skews a little more Home Alone,
2: but the aesthetic of it very much was inspired by Suspiria and just Italian horror movies, even like uh, the reanimator, Stuart Gordon, all those guys that were in the 70s and 80s just making some of the best movies of all time that, you know, we, we just don't even really see those types of movies made anymore. So it was kind of our... Are not an homage to all these movies that we grew up watching, and i 'm sure you did too
1: mm. so, yeah. so what what was the, what was what's the important detail for people or details sorry for people to look out for in terms of what you put on screen that that sort of plays to that idea of wanting to emulate you know the reanimator and and, uh, and Suspiria? well you know I would say for me it's it's fun
0: you know The night sitter is a horror movie and it's violent and it 's gory but it's not like grueling to watch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a, um, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like a disturbing film, you know, it's fun. It is sort of a ride. It's like a romp. Yeah, it, it's a roller coaster Yeah. It, it there's it's, comedy, there's likable characters. <throat> you know, I think the performances in it, you know, there's people who are, um, all the actors, you can tell, you know, they're having a great time playing out these scenes. And, I think that we're hoping anyway that that quality is infectious, you know, where you can tell how much fun it was to make and it becomes that much fun to watch it.
1: And, uh, and just think, just thinking more specifically about, about the, the story itself. So where, yeah. where did, where did you cotton on to the, the, uh, the idea of the, of the three mothers and stuff? Was that something that you've taken from folklore or is that your own invention?
2: There is a, combination the three mothers the name came kind of referenced from uh the argento films essentially it was a tear the mother of tears yeah mother of tears i can't remember if it was inferno inferno yeah Yeah. that was the the trilogy of the, Hmm. the mothers for argento so we kind of stole that but even before that I think before, oh, hold just, on,
0: hold on, Ryan. It's, it's an homage, not, wow. not a stolen, make, sorry.
2: <laughs> make sure the audience, potato, potato, Yeah, we stole nothing. Yeah. But, uh, before that, I think we were even <clears throat> debating, before even the, the idea of witches came into play, we had like these ink, like monsters that were essentially dripping from the books. And we found that that was just, just going to be impossible to do in post because we didn't have the money. Hmm. But, um, I think, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Transmission, which is Mondo's website, but I, I saw a figurine statue. There's three of them of, of these scary witches on their website, like okay. five years okay. ago, and that kind of spurred the idea for let's let's maybe do witches this time. And it kind of helped us out because now there's a superior remake that's being made, and I yeah, we're not necessarily piggybacking off of it, but it's definitely helping us um, with that and. Actually, what's not helping us is probably the babysitter, though. We kind of we caught
0: like a strange trend, which I think always happens in the night sitter, where like the babysitter and Better Watch Out came out last year, and then Suspiria is coming out this year. Which you know, obviously, our film is not terribly similar, but. Uh, I do think that the uh, the three mothers references kind of always prick the
2: ears of uh, Argento fans. Mm. Yeah, and the lighting in general in our movie, everyone seems to be like, oh, that's that seems very Suspiria like. So. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's lots of blocks of color, isn't there? For uh, for to like to throw shade on certain elements of the house, isn't
2: there? We tried to motivate it through, and that's why I always, <clears throat> I always want to try to put Christmas in it because those lights allow such a spectrum of color mm-hmm. in every in every shot, but. Mm. You yeah, I mean that's kind of where our, our lighting comes from. Is that we have it set during Christmas time, so we're able to essentially motivate it to any color
1: we want given the scene. Yeah. So, in, in a practical sense, how how do you how do you co-write? What did you stand Do you sit in a room together and one types, one paces up and down, or are you batting things backwards and forwards? How does it work? Uh, well, usually I try to come up with like a skeleton outline and then.
2: Abe and I usually bounce back and forth after that with the outline. And then Abe is actually the writer of the scripts. So every script that we've worked on, he's the actual writer. So he'll give the voice to all of these characters that I'm okay. not good at.
0: Yeah, but it's, and that's the, the reason that we always share the co-writing credit, though, is because so much of the, it, it, a lot of the work actually is done in the process of breaking the outline, breaking the characters, you know, down to every scene, every character motivation, every big effects sequence. Um, so, yeah, it's it's sort of a, I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak once it comes to the actual, like, typing out of everything. But up until that point, it's very collaborative. Um, and obviously, you know, for the Night Sitter uh, and for our next project and for a couple of the sh- I think yeah, all of all the short, shorts, it's yeah. been that way where Rocco has sort of or John, I'm sorry, has has sort of came to me with a world that he thinks would be interested to, you know, sort of interesting to play in, mm. and we've we've built the outline <clears throat> together, and then I go out and, and type it all up.
1: I must admit, I'm, i I've I've just done some co-writing myself, and I found I, I we set off on the way of going like do ten pages, then someone else does ten. I've been done like what you described, all those hard yards of outlining this stuff, and then yeah. and then I found that like, I just couldn't let it go. So I ended up doing a full <laughs> a full draft and then talking about what we had as opposed to uh doing it incrementally, which you know works out fine in the end, but it was it was it was a bit of a surprise to myself that I couldn't just stick to the rules that we'd agreed. It was
0: uh <laughs> Yeah. Well it's tough. It's a tough process and I think the key thing for us that's great is that I'm I like I'm so interested in like what John thinks is cool, what he thinks will work what he is like inspired by hmm. that that I it's it's fun for me once I'm actually writing the script it, it doesn't you know I don't think either one of us feel like overly
2: like oh or this is just mine this is other, just yeah. mine you know I, these are my choices it's very yeah. much collaborative and even of course I'm sure <clears throat> you know before we even – even during filming, we're changing stuff left and right. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's just – it's an ongoing, ever-evolving and, – and, and, of course, in post-production as well. I mean, the story, even though it's very similar to the script, I mean, every scene you'll see has differences in it. So, yeah,
0: if you were to read the script and then watch the finished product, like, you, you would
2: absolutely notice that there's – there's a good amount of changes for sure.
1: With 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 such a clear vision about, about the kind of horror films you wanted to to homage and emulate, as well as as well as the sort of narrative that maybe, like you say, um, lends itself to something like Home Alone. And and given you a shooting in a real house as opposed to a soundstage. What was the conversation like with, with your cinematographer about how you, A, were going to achieve these things you wanted to homage, or B, what, what what they thought was possible?
2: Well, we had several conversations. I mean, it was an ongoing, I think we tried to meet them every week or t- maybe twice a week, especially coming up towards the, uh, the yeah. shoot dates. But, I mean, mm. we essentially watched as many movies as we could, referencing, <coughs> I mean, going back to I'm trying to think of, like besides Suspiria and Inferno and, and, you know, all these Fulci Argento and, uh, and other like BABA movies, we essentially, uh, referenced, um, Black Christmas and the, the biggest reference probably visually would be Black Xmas or Black Christmas, the remake, the 2006 remake, not the 1974 movie. Okay. So that has okay. like a, a very, uh, balanced, um, lighting that we essentially yeah. mocked and and used for our uh, yeah. for our movie it's an underrated movie actually
0: um uh but i would also say scotty scotty field who's our cinematographer you know hmm. we've worked with him for uh 10 years, years almost yes yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah. yeah so you know we have a shorthand with him uh personally and professionally
2: um and And he also likes all of the stuff that we like so i mean it's very much a collaborative process in terms of we all wanted the same thing we're
1: all to reach the same goal so how Um, can i ask though when when you when you're developing those ideas and like i say where you've got like a you know you know what you like and especially given that you say scotty also had similar taste where where does the where for you does the then the imprint of your movie become its own identity out of those influences? What, what, what are you doing there in terms of the aesthetic?
0: Well, I think that the, the big thing, um, is that, you know, it, it, for me, it comes down to the voice of the character. Oh, but you said specifically in terms of the aesthetic, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. All all, all the, all the, whatever it is, you tell me, I'm just, I guess, uh,
2: visually, I'm just more of a visual person. So when it comes to, like, colors, mm. which is obviously w- were the color of green in my mind. C- green and red are, like, the predominant colors in this, and also because it's Christmas. Blood is red. The warning signs in our, like, let's say the red stairwell down leading down to the basement is red. So we actually painted the hallway to Ted's office red as well just to mimic these these warning signs, yeah. essentially, it's a very our, color-coded
0: movie. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like
2: oh, yeah. every color is, and, and even the colors down to the wardrobe. I know Amber and Kevin both, and even Ted at the end, all have blue in their in their costumes, and those are the three surviving characters until, you so, know, we'll, 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 we'll see. Yeah. yeah. I don't <laughs> want to do yeah. any spoilers. But
0: for instance, uh, the character of Lindsay uh, is wearing green. Which then becomes a uh, witch yeah, well, because
2: yeah. you know, she obviously ends actually, up... actually sorry, we we shouldn't be spoiling anything else. So we're moving <laughs> forward we're not gonna spoil anything else. But yeah. yeah, there's definitely um I mean, everything is very much color coded and for a reason. We we spent months trying to figure out which colors would be appropriate for which rooms and I mean, it goes down to even the props and and just everything, essentially. Everything was thought about. And
0: I I think also I was going to say before, um, in terms of the voice uh, and the sensibility of the film, um, a lot of the the movies that we've um, said are influences aesthetically, you know, those are movies that are – plainly dramatic to the point of almost being like melodramatic you know Mm -hmm. that's what people love about Argento and all those movies is that it's so sort of overwrought and intense and everything and so I think to marry something that aesthetically rich to our sensibility in terms of loving comedy loving things that are a little little bit absurd you know playing with all the character relationships um, you know I'm not sure that in in a lot of these ultra stylized horror movies, sometimes you don't feel like you're watching real people in a real situation um and I think the Night that are because of the way we kind of marry these sensibilities you for me anyway i kind of i buy all the characters you know like I buy who this person is and and how they're reacting to this situation
2: um I think that's the main difference between ours and and the older movies, at least. Um.
1: Yeah, because one, one, two, two characters spring to mind in terms of, I'd love to know, like, in terms of on the page versus then the, then the, the, the actor turns on. Mm-hmm. I mean, first, first off, Ted, the Ted Hooper, and I know these, this isn't a main character, but I just, yeah. obviously, it's, it's a main character in terms of the story, for sure. Uh, but the character of Ted Hooper, um, it was kind of like in the, start, in the start of the movie, there's, there's kind of like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's it's the. Uh, I mean, this is not a big spoiler, but the idea of a babysitter not having any references, and then him telling the babysitter <laughs> to tell yeah. someone, just tell him you you babysat for so and so down the road. And and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this is an amazing character, and and it, and it clearly. And I, I don't won't, won't I won't say more, but he 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 comes in he comes into his own even more later on with the same. But but, but it isn't downplayed. So in terms of in terms of you writing that character and then Joe Waltz turning up and being that character, what what was the what was the alchemy there for you guys?
0: Well, that's actually I'm I'm so happy you brought Ted up because um, he I think is sort of like low key our favorite character in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he the thing is in the script originally we um, he was written to be almost like this kind of like slick middle-aged handsome has it all kind of like almost um yeah just just sort of like i don't know i mean i, I don't want to say that he's a
2: little bit more suave in the script yeah actually. exactly and yeah. then once we met uh joe actually through auditions i mean there was no one else that even came close to to just Getting the character of, of Ted down and also just bringing something completely new to the table hmm. that we hadn't seen in any of the and, other movies. And actors. the
0: thing that's great about Joe also <clears throat> is that, he's uh, of of all the actors in the movie, he is a classically trained theater actor. And the majority of the work he does is on the stage. Okay. Um, and so he had this, first of all, it, it was a joy to work with him because... He, he's so in tune with, like, what he's doing that when you're making adjustments with him, it's it, it's so intuitive. You'd be like, yeah. oh, you know, I need you to scale this back a little bit. I need you to, you know, you can really, like, you can give him yeah, bad so directions. Professional. It's, and he'll yeah. figure, you know. Um, but the, the thing that was great about the way he played it, for me, is that Ted is sort of playing a character in a way. Mm-hmm. So there's something a little bit, that's kind of fun meta about Joe playing Ted playing um the sort of version of Ted that he wants everyone to see um so yeah he, he he was a a real pleasure to work with and um you know I do think that he's he's theatrical in a way where some people when they first see him in the movie they have that same reaction you do of like what's going on with this guy? But what's great is that so much happens in the movie that by the time he turns back up, you're
1: kind co- of, It you're, almost you're, makes sense. Yeah, you're sort of yeah, ready for him like, to oh. come back.
0: And you're like, right. okay, let me, let me get a little bit more info. About
1: Without spoiling guy. anything. Yeah. To, to be honest with you, the minute, the minute we get to see a sizzle reel, I kind of got why he was, <laughs> he was how he was. It was that because there was, there was, it's interesting you say on the page, he was kind of more, he was like the, the man who had it all. I thought there was a lovely desperation to him on, in, in those early scenes, especially, obviously, once you... Because you go, who is this guy? And then you go, oh, God, yeah, no, he's, a des- he's desperate to make it. In every. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say more to, to, to fear of spoiling. The other one is, is it as, probably an even more minor character. I mean, he's not, he isn't minor, that minor. But remind me, what's the name of the, of the neighbour, called who lives in the garage? Oh, Vincent. Vincent. Yeah, Vincent. Vincent. So I watched the film with my wife, and the second time Vincent knocks on the door, And obviously, Amber, Amber being hard, being the hard faced babysitter that she is, obviously gives him short shrift because she can see this. This guy lives in his garage, coming from a mile away. My wife looked at me and she went, "Oh," and felt really sorry for him. And it was a lovely It's like that kind of. It's a weird, lovely moment, you know, in terms of um, of what of the action that's to come. That's yeah,
0: yeah. Vincent's sort of a. He's fun. He's sort of, for us, he's sort of a tragic character because he's, it was sort of a fun thing for us. You know, it's it's maybe a bit of a convention in these movies that the hero has access to a person who has a huge amount of knowledge Hmm. about the supernatural Hmm. thing that they're dealing with.
2: Who happens to be next door. Yeah, who
0: happens to, (laughs) so we kind of, you know, we knew that we were going to have Vincent play that role, so we just said you know let's subvert it you know like he's not an expert that skypes in and is like oh i've been doing research he's a guy who lives (laughs) next door and smokes weed and you know reads these satanic books and probably listens to some death metal once in a while and just kind of like he he just so happens to have studied stuff that is relevant and uh
2: like ted those are the only two characters that seem to know a little bit more about the witches than anyone else and and what's fun too for us is that
0: playing Amber off of both Vincent and Ted, these are two guys who are like, look, trust me, sweetie. Like I know what's going on with these witches. And, and as you, of them. Yeah. as you see in the movie, like really Amber just sort of like her gut instinct flying by the seat of her pants is like probably the best. Yeah, it's a little bit more
1: effective than all this expertise. Indeed, uh, indeed. Now now one last question for you guys. Um we don't, we, we, I think we've I think we've done well so far. We haven't we haven't given any we haven't given too much away. We've only given teases. But from your point of view, and for the audience that are going to get to watch it at FrightFest, that we're going to go and see this at FrightFest, can you give us an idea of 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 something that happens that they can look forward to, or you're indeed excited to see the the FrightFest audience react to? Uh,
0: I, I, let's see. Let's, I'm going to try to speak really cryptically here. Go on then. Uh, Do your best. So. Uh... Ted Hooper says an awful lot in this movie, and there's a moment in the movie where he doesn't have much left to say, and uh, it's
1: towards the end. <laughs> and I think people will enjoy that that moment greatly. I think you handled yeah. that really well. <laughs> yeah. Also, a uh,
2: a fight scene in the pool house that
1: oh, we yeah. had a,
2: a lot of fun filming. We only got to film it for you know it was only I think a half day, but we we definitely. Are pretty proud of that one so hopefully you guys will remember that
0: yeah that's actually i'm i'm upset almost that we didn't get a chance to talk more about the fight
2: scene in the pool house because that is a that was a huge fun scene for us to shoot um yeah and actually everything wound up turning out pretty well in that scene um it took a lot of work in post of course but I mean, yeah, we're we're pretty proud of that scene and uh, the deaths that come out of that scene too.
1: What were what were the inherent challenges going into that sequence?
2: Uh, well, first, stunts number yeah. one. I mean, we hadn't we dealt with stunt coordinators before, but this one was a little bit more extensive because there was, I think, three people kind of fighting at once. So it was a lot yeah. of coordinating on our end and and involving a, a few practical effects towards the end.
0: And also, um, you know. A lot of the stunts involve, um, like people being thrown around. Yeah. And, uh, there are, amongst our actors, there was, there, you know, some of them had existing sort of like previous injuries or medical things where, like, that was something we really had to keep an eye on. Also, the pool fight scene has, um, one of the, my favorite gore effects in the film, which is sort of an unbroken shot which moves through a room and then it ends with a fairly, uh, juicy gore effect. So mm-hmm. pulling that off is always tricky because you know, the, first of all, the cleanup and reset on, and this goes for the whole movie. The cleanup and reset on anything yeah. uh, is insane. You know that'll take It'll that'll take, take a that, that'll eat up your whole day. So just the pressure that people are feeling to not be the one person on set who screws up, um, it it's great, but like it also you know it is tension. You
1: know. Well, look, uh, before we finish, I have to ask, though, because w- one person interviewed earlier on in this process says anybody that works in film knows not to let their house or place of work get used <laughs> as a uh, as a location for film. So in terms of that phrase, you know, clean up and reset, what was the clean up and reset like to give the house back to your parents? Uh,
2: it was actually not as bad as we were thinking but i mean we essentially planned it from the beginning we were like okay let's have the gore as much outside in the crawl space and in the pool house as possible and not like in the living room or in the kitchen where you know there's rug and stuff so we the cleanup it took a while it definitely uh was several days of cleaning up there's no question about it with Mm. at least 10 or 15 people yeah but but
0: we actually also i want to call them out special we had an awesome team of four uh PAs that came over from a photography school uh in Britain Britain, actually um and they were unpaid they were um their teacher was our gaffer okay Um, so they came over as like a school I think they got school credit actually and um they were so excited to work on a film set that we w- it would be we like... We wouldn't have been able to make multiple of our days. No, because like, it would be a huge no blood cleanup yeah. and they would be like psyched. They would be like standing right behind the camera with like mops Ready and stuff, like clean. let me get yeah. in there and clean that up. And like normally on these kind of shoots... That's it, the thing everyone yeah, dreads. It's like pulling teeth <laughs> to get people to do that, so... Um.
2: So, yeah, we were definitely very appreciative of all the help and support we were we were given. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to make this movie without, without any of them, so...
1: Yeah. Well, look, guys, thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Thank you so much, Stuart. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, or if you want to help me out directly there's a link in the show notes to my patreon page all contributions are welcome and the music is by chris reed of the composers.tv